Well, friends, wonderful uh, to be back uh, with you this morning. We find ourselves in a new series as we turn to uh, the book of Second Thessalonians. Uh, so please, would you turn there now in your Bibles? That would be of uh, great encouragement to me, and I hope of great encouragement to you. Uh, for by following along with me in this uh, sermon overview this morning. Uh, Hopefully you'll be able to see that it's not me uh, who is uh, speaking to us this morning, but it is God who is speaking uh, through his word. And so if you're using a church Bible, that's page 930. As I've said, 2 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, it's the big number 1, and verse 1, that's the little number 1. And once you're there, hopefully with enough waffling, you're there. And would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Let's do that now. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated and let us pray once more. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, your very Son, the Lord Jesus, told us that it is the Spirit who gives life and that the flesh is of no help at all. And so, Father, we come before you this morning looking to grasp what this whole letter is about and not looking to our own wisdom or intelligence for that, but asking that you would bring life by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray that he would be at work now, enlivening our hearts, blowing on the embers of faith. For, Father, we need you. And so we pray humbly for divine help and we rely not upon ourselves, but we trust you to reignite hearts which are often dull and to bring vitality where sometimes weariness and laziness persist. For it is for your glory that we pray. Amen. Revenge travel, nature prescription, beach therapy. If you'd asked me just a few months ago what those three phrases were all about, I'd have had uh, absolutely no idea for revenge travel, nature prescription, and beach therapy uh, sound as though uh, six nouns have just been kind of plucked from the dictionary at random and kind of mashed together into three incoherent pairs. But today, in July 2022, apparently, uh, those are some of the most popular captions of this summer on social media. For the caption hashtag revenge travel, it is all about taking revenge on COVID-19. For the past two summers, COVID uh, has stolen our out-of-state vacations, and as a result, the Instagrammers of the day uh, tell us that we are to punish this robbing virus by showing it that we can get on a plane again. And likewise, the the caption that the hashtag nature prescription has to do with the, the healing possibilities of summer 2022. For the theory is, is that two whole years on Zoom has, has left most of us so frazzled and overworked that many of us just need to return to the outdoors. 
Indeed, Time magazine recently reported that doctors in Scotland are now literally prescribing nature prescriptions for the stressed. Overworked Scots now receive booklets on, on gardening and walking and bird watching in the hope that the pressures of work might melt away as they immerse themselves in the natural world. Accordingly, the ultimate social media caption this summer, uh, hashtag beach therapy, uh, refers to the best drug on the market. For beach, the beach rather, is, is, is apparently the very best medicine for the overworked. So scientific research tells us now that, that, that the color blue induces uh, feelings of peace, and that staring at the ocean changes your brainwave frequency, and that, and that sea breezes contain negative ions, and that the warm sand between your toes incites deep relaxation. And so, in summary, if you're, if you're still stressed out this summer, remember what has been taken from you, get in, some, get in some revenge travel, write yourself a nature prescription, and above all, remember that, that everything, everything, can be remedied by a bit of beach therapy. And so for the past few weeks, uh, what did I do? Well, the health gurus and the Instagram influencers would have been uh, very proud of me indeed, uh, for I have done just that. Uh, honestly, I got a bit bored of captioning my vacation on, on social media after just three days. But nevertheless, in early June, I shook my fist at thieving COVID and I flew back to England with my family for the first time to England in two years. And I got outside into nature every day for hours. Indeed, just a few days ago, I was still on the beach. And was it a good break from hard work? Absolutely, it was. We had a wonderfully restful time together as a family. I returned, I praised God for my vacation. I, I returned, I praised God that, that I work for a church that is so generous to its pastors and allows them periods of rest. However, when I returned on Tuesday morning, I also realized it was a problem, a problem that perhaps you have felt uh, if you've already been away this summer, and that is that work is always there upon return. You can travel, you can take revenge on COVID, but at some point you have to come home again. You can take the prescription of a, of a nature walk, but at some point you have to walk back into the office. You can get as much surf and sun and sand as you can for two whole weeks, but you can't do beach therapy forever. Indeed, when the vacation ends, hard work is seemingly always there to greet us at airport arrivals. But more than that, more than that, as I returned, as I, as I thought about the Christian life, I, I realized that, that hard work never really went away. In fact, I realized that even if, even if I'd never come back to hectic Nashville and instead written an indefinite uh, nature prescription and, and purchased a, a permanent home right there on the beach, that the hard work that comes because I am a Christian would not simply have ceased. Because the hard work of following our Lord Jesus doesn't just stop when you're on the beach. And how do we know that? Well, we know that in part because the letter of Second Thessalonians that is before us this morning is a letter written to Christians who are literally always on the beach. For Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, to give it its modern day name, has always been a very chilled out, 
beach city in Greece, built upon the calming coastline of the Mediterranean. Indeed, even 2,000 years on from this latter, Thessalonica is still a very popular vacation destination for all those wanting to escape hard work. And so somewhat ironically, that this letter to a group of Christians on the beach is all about the inescapability of hard work and the ongoing labor that comes when you become a Christian. Indeed, Paul's letter uh, captures four areas of of Christian work, which is why following this this introductory sermon this morning, I have four subsequent sermons uh, on each of those areas. And what are those inescapable areas of Christian work? Well, if you look down quickly at this letter, I hope that you can see there those, those four areas of work that Paul speaks to. Indeed, let me caption those for you. You'll see them up on the screen. If you look down at the rest of chapter 1, you'll see that that Christians must firstly keep working hard because the world is always working against them. For Paul says in this letter that no matter where a Christian may travel to, that the Christian always finds themselves in a hostile world. And so in chapter 1 and verse uh, 4, we instantly read of the church in Thessalonica enduring typical affliction from the world And therefore, at the end uh, of of chapter 1 and verse 11, as you can see there, that the need for God to help them to be resolved in every work of faith. And yet, secondly, in chapter 2, we we see that Christians must also keep working hard because of the ever-present nature of false teaching. Uh, Basically, Christians can never really go on vacation because Satan never goes on vacation. Indeed, in chapter 2 and verse 3, we read of deceptions that had come into this church. And therefore, chapter 2 and verse 17, do you look down there with me? The need for God to establish them in every good work and word. And yet, working hard in faith and doctrine are not the only things that Christians are called to. For if you look with me to chapter 3, you'll see that the Christians must also keep working hard to pray. Because God's word must must speed ahead. In short, the the good news of Jesus is still on a world tour. And so chapter 3, verse 1, we read of the the Christians need to keep praying for missionaries like Paul. And therefore, at the end of chapter 3 and verse 5, that the need for God to direct Christian hearts to keep laboring in steadfastness. And finally, in chapter 3 and verse 6, in our final sermon we shall see that the Christian must also keep working hard in their day jobs. That the Christians must not live a a forever vacation life, for Christians are to work hard to pay the bills. Indeed, if you look at chapter 3 and verse 6, you'll see there that that Christians are to keep away from idle people. And therefore, again, in in chapter 3 and verses 12 and 13, right at the end of the letter, we read of the need for God to help Christians to work, to work quietly, to earn a living, and not grow weary in doing good. And that, that is 2 Thessalonians all neatly captioned. That's where we're going in this full series. That is the inescapable hard work 
that this letter calls the followers of Jesus to. And so with that syllabus overview in mind, my fellow students of Second Thessalonians, how are you feeling about this new academic year? If you're anything like me, as you see Second Thessalonians summarized there, as you scan over this very challenging letter, all about the inescapability of the Christian's work, it would be easy not to feel a little bit stressed out. Indeed, the Thessalonians weren't already stressed about their impending affliction and the rise of false teaching, and yet the need to keep praying, and yet to do all this amidst the busyness of their nine-to-five jobs, no doubt they were stressed now after skimming Paul's letter, as we have just done. And maybe, friends, as this new academic year approaches, as you return from your summer vacation, as you, as you see all the work that, that is on your plate, that that is how you feel as a Christian too. For just like the Thessalonians, you're, you're already feeling the affliction from unbelieving friends, particularly after changes to Uh, abortion laws this summer, and you're already feeling weighed down by by false teaching as you see Christians that you you love seemingly falling for unbiblical ideas today. You're already feeling stretched in in daily prayer without the command to, to pray more for world mission. You're already feeling overworked by your family and your church Without the wagging finger from the pulpit, Christians are not to be idle in their day jobs either. And so my brothers and sisters, when faced with with all this hard work, what place does your mind go for reprieve? What what hashtag do you begin to, to search for? What caption do you believe that you will soon need for your life this fall? Well, for many of us, I'd be surprised if it wasn't simply just the next vacation. Because as I've already said, today, that is what we are told. For the modern solution to hard work is to look for the next opportunity to post about hashtag revenge travel, hashtag nature prescription, hashtag beach therapy. And on one level, that's absolutely right. Uh, Looking at booking a full vacation uh, might be the best thing that you do this afternoon. We need vacations. We we need trips to the beach from time to time. However, what I really want us to grasp this morning is that that is not the Christian category or hashtag or, or, or primary motivation when it comes to the hard work of following the Lord Jesus. For right at the start of his letter, and indeed all the way through his letter, as we shall see, as the Apostle Paul keeps calling these Christians to keep working hard, Paul tells them not to caption their lives by the promises of those three holiday hashtags, but rather his three opening words. Grace to you. Grace to you when it comes to capturing Christian hard work, when it comes to the the, the link for godly living amid all the affliction the world brings, when it comes to the mindset for working hard for truth, when it comes to the cross-reference for all our praying and the motivating hashtag for work in the nine-to-five job, Paul keeps telling these Thessalonians 
throughout the letter that it is the grace that is given to them that will keep them. For amid the inescapability of work, Paul doesn't say, remember what has been taken from you. Enjoy a vacation. But rather, he says, remember what has been given to you. Enjoy, in a sense, a staycation. Stay focused on the grace that you have exactly where you are. Remember the original source of blessing, that that supernatural prescription and not just a natural one. For at no point in this letter, in spite of their location, in tranquil Thessalonica, does Paul send these, these hardworking Greek Christians back down to their local beaches for a little bit more therapy, to sit and stare at the Mediterranean Sea for a while and to feel the sand between their toes once more. But rather, amid all the hardship of Christian living, Paul keeps sending these Christians back to grace, back to the blessings and favor and riches that they have already received. Grace to you. Grace to you, Paul shouts right at the start of this letter, and grace be with you. Grace be with you, Paul shouts right at the end in the very last verse. And so with those bookends of grace in mind, with that motivating hashtag for hard work, as the kind of the caption for this whole letter, what I want us to do just for the next 20 minutes or so is to reflect a little bit more on this grace to us, that this caption that we must have fixed in our minds as we head into this challenging letter and into the next academic year uh, together as a church as we continue to work hard for the Lord Jesus. And to do that, I want us to ask uh, three questions Uh, in regard to grace. And the first one of these is, what is the source of grace to us? What is the source of grace to us? Uh, While we were vacationing uh, in England, uh, you'll be unsurprised to hear that we spent a good deal of time in in London, uh, where we used to live. Uh, And accordingly, we spent many uh, happy an hour looking down over the the mighty River Thames that flows through it, uh, the River Uh, Thames, uh, if you didn't know, is the longest river in England. And for thousands of years, uh, this river has given life uh, and blessings uh, and riches through all its drinking water and wildlife uh, and waterways to the hardworking people of England. Indeed, by the time you get to London, uh, when the river is, is kind of hundreds of feet wide, you cannot miss all the blessings of the river as you see boats transporting people uh, under Tower Bridge and uh, people sitting in cafes and enjoying it and, and little ducks swimming on, on top of the water and even, even billboards advertising Thames drinking water, which I wouldn't really recommend. But when we, we, we left London, when we left London and, and headed 100 miles west for our second week of vacation, one of the things that I later realized that I totally missed during our second week was the source of the River Thames. For, for hidden away, in a little unknown village, not too far away from where we stayed, was a little spring concealed under a tree that I, that I just drove past, never really noticed. A spring which was the official source of the River Thames. You know, when it comes to grace, when it comes to the great streams of blessing that we have in this life, when when it comes to the great river of riches that sustain us for hard work, it's very easy to do the same. 
For when it comes to the gracious blessings of, of Christian friends and of heaven to come, which help us amid all the affliction from the world, and when it comes to, to the Christians who, who disciple us and, and ultimately the Bible, which helps us amid false teaching, and prayer meetings and ultimately the Holy Spirit, which, which helps us in the hard work of prayer, and jobs, and people who have been wonderful models to us at work and have helped us not to grow weary in doing good, upstream, upstream of all those gracious blessings for Christian work is the source of every grace. And yet, sadly, it is the source that we can often drive right past without giving it its proper honor. But what is the source of grace to us? God. God. And yet in this letter, Paul is absolutely determined not to let these Christians forget that. He did every single time in this letter that, that grace comes up, he reminds them that this grace is from God. You can see that, can't you, in, in chapter 1, verse 2. Grace to you from God our Father. It's the same thing as we see there in, in chapter 1, verse 12. May you be resolved to do good work according to the grace of God. And it's the same thing we see in chapter 2 and verse 16, which we'll come on to in a minute. And it's also right there at the end of the letter as well. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Paul is desperate to remind us that the source of every grace in this life is God. You know, friends, the Christian life is, is a very long an arduous walk home, and we will often feel weary upon it. But wonderfully, along the way, we will find many streams of blessing that will quench us in all our exhaustion. But, but upstream, upstream of all those tributaries of grace, the riches of other Christians and the, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and Bible studies and times of corporate prayer, which bring us great refreshment, is the source of every one of those graces, God. For grace bubbles up from God, like, like water from a spring. Grace is, is the natural overflow of God's gracious character, which floods God's people with goodness and kindness to the point where at the end of our lives, we observe a wide river of blessings, which practically means what? Well, at the very least, it means that we should not drive past so quickly the source as I did on vacation. Now, instead, you and I are to make time to stop and to trace the river of every blessing in our life back to its very source and therefore to make time to praise God, the source of every grace. And friends, that is especially true for the believer, as we shall unpack the essence of this saving grace in just a moment. But you know that is also true in a sense for the unbeliever. For it is not as though the unbeliever has received no grace from God at all. For the Bible speaks of, of a common grace, which is given to every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. Indeed, if you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christian, you may think that you may have received no grace from God at all. But that is simply not true. For whether you accept God as the source or not, you have received grace from him. Indeed, even 
before this service began. You have been graciously fed, no doubt, by God's gracious hand, with food graciously prepared by the people that you made, produced by the sun and the rain that he graciously sent. Well, Psalm 145 tells us he showers grace on all that he has made. And so, my friend, whoever you are this morning, God is the source of every grace that you enjoy. He is the gracious source of that, of that person or even that pet that you love. He is the, the gracious source of the vacation that you enjoyed and the, and the gracious source of the job that you returned to. He has graciously provided you with everything that you have. Indeed, the Bible even tells us that God is even graciously restraining evil in your life now. In his grace, others are not as bad to you as they could be. And in his grace, you are not as bad to others as you could be. Even now, even right now this morning, God has graciously brought you here this morning to hear his voice today, to remind you that he is the source of every goodness and that he offers with a free hand the most gracious overflow of his goodness to you, salvation found in the living waters that are Jesus Christ. Accordingly, secondly, this morning, as we as Christians, as we as Christians reflect upon God's grace to us, that which helps us amid hard work, what is the kind of the key substance of grace? What does Paul mean as he keeps speaking in this letter of of the grace that establishes us in every good work? And so question two, what is the substance of grace? What is the substance of grace to us? Now, in many senses, as I've just said, that the substance of grace is pretty much everything that is given to us. God's grace is everything in life that that we get that we don't deserve because we often forget or ignore the source of it. And so God's grace is is flowers and trees and birds and and, and safe homes and and loving friends and family and, and relaxing beaches and delicious food. But to see what Paul really has in mind when he speaks of this grace to you, we have to jump to the, to the very center of this letter. For in chapter 2 and verses 16 and 17, right in the middle of all this encouragement to, to work hard, we come to the kind of the very hinge of this letter and we find Paul's primary prayer for them. And he just turned there to chapter 2, verse 16, and to what I believe is the heart of this letter. Chapter 2, 16. Now, he says in summary, now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. What establishes the Christian for every good work? Well, if you look at the end of verse 16, It is God's grace. Thessalonian hearts will be equipped through grace. But what is the real substance of this grace which strengthens for every good work? Well, if you look carefully at verse 16, you can see that God's grace is comprised of two things. God's past love and God's future hope. So let's look at the first one. God's past love. God's past love. What did God do through grace in verse 16? God loved us. 
But for some unknown reason, as Paul explains, God went beyond common grace to some, and God gave Christians saving grace. For God loved his people so much that at one point in history, the, 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 the kind of foundations of the deep burst forth and flooded the world with the grace that we needed the most. For God sent his one and only son, as we thought about this morning, to wash away all our selfishness and sin that we may stand spotless before a God who is perfectly holy. And God graciously did that because God loved us. Indeed, in the context of that verse, we, we see that these, that these saving waters, that, that tide of the very blood of Jesus Christ came because God chose us to be the first fruits of salvation. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, you can say in confidence, in grace, God loves me. God loves me. You might not believe that you are lovely, and you might not believe that you've done anything lovely to deserve such love, and, and you would be right, because this is grace. And it is a Christian in the eternal past, in the planned outpouring of his great grace, God did decide to love you. Grace to you, Paul keeps shouting. God's eternal love passed has been given to you. And so what is the upshot of this grace of God's love? Well, as we have noticed, this wonderful, loving grace should make us ready and willing for hard work. For Christian hearts are established for the hard work of, of facing affliction from the world and false teaching and prayer and, and the hard work of just making a living when we remember in our hearts God's grace in Christ. God's past love. So again, brothers and sisters, if, if you're feeling that, that kind of post-vacation weariness, if you're not sure that you can make it through the next fall term, if you're in a season where you just kind of feel a bit stressed out by all the hard work of following our loving Lord Jesus Christ, remember that in God's grace you have been loved what helpful motivation for hard work. The gracious love of God is a, is a staggering thought. And yet it's not merely a thought that should simply send us into some kind of vacation-like bliss and trance. Rather, the love that God has bestowed upon us in grace is also that which should strengthen our hearts for every labor in the Christian life. And practically, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's actually very hard to work for the boss who for some reason reads our awful CV and yet genuinely loves us and hires us for his work. It's not actually very hard to run through the brick walls for, for, for the coach who for some reason has picked us for the football team out of his gracious love for us. And so friends, again, if we are to endure the hardship of, of Christian work today, the wrath of the world, the struggle against false teaching, that the battle to pray for mission, the struggle to just work hard in our jobs. We must make time to dwell upon God's grace in his eternal love and the glorious truth that he graciously loved us before all time in the Lord Jesus. And yet that's not all, is it? 
For again, if we look carefully at that key verse in 2 Thessalonians and back to chapter 2 and verse 16, and Paul's central prayer for them, we also see that the ability to work hard is established by the grace of God's future hope. A second component of God's grace to us, God's future hope, God's future hope. Look again with me, it's verse 16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace establish your hearts for good work. Friends, can you see what what Paul is doing here? For after showing them that the rivers of blessing that they they walk beside, that the great streams of common grace whose source is God, and after handing these these weary Christians the the metaphorical kind of binoculars of, 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 of God's saving grace, that they might stop looking around at all the present hardships of the walk home, that after handing them the binoculars of, of God's saving grace, that they might look down, back down the hill that they have climbed and to the gracious love of God that set them on their journey. That after getting them to, to look back at the past, that Paul now tells them to look through those binoculars of, of God's grace and to the other way and uphill, and to the end, and to heaven, and to home, where God will graciously take them. For Paul knows that wearied Christian hearts, tired of hard work, are not only encouraged and strengthened by, but by gazing at past grace, God's love for them past. But Paul knows that wearied Christian hearts, tired of hard work, are also encouraged and strengthened by gazing at future grace, seen in God's hope for them. Well, friends, there's so much uh, more to say here. And in this this letter of 2 Thessalonians, this this theme of hope is one that we shall return to uh, again and again and again. And so I don't want to say too much here. But for now, can you see how a deeper meditation upon God's grace to you in giving you a wonderful, eternal hope might also be a really key component for you when it comes to your ability to work hard for the Lord Jesus who will bring you home. Again, what is the source of grace to us? God. What is the substance of grace to us? God's past love, God's future hope. But finally, and very quickly as we close, what is the side effect of grace to us? What is it that grace brings to us right now amid all the hard work of Christian living? Well, the answer, wonderfully, is peace, true peace. What is the side effect of grace to us? God's present peace, God's present peace. In the very opening of his letter, as we read right back at the start, Paul cries out, grace to you. And as we have seen, it is the grace of God which will help these Thessalonians in every work. However, in nearly all of Paul's letters, the the, the hero of grace always comes with a sidekick. Or better, the medicine of grace 
always comes with a side effect. What does Paul say in chapter 1 and verse 2? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, God's grace is, is always tethered to his peace. You can't kind of swallow the pill without getting the side effects, and you can't get the side effects without swallowing the pill. Indeed, you, you see that, that not only that at the beginning of the letter, but you also see at the very end of the letter as well. For in chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul speaks of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being with them all. And so chapter uh, 3 and verse 16, just two verses before it, can you see there that, that Paul cannot help but speak of the peace of the Lord Jesus being with them all. Well, God's grace can never be detached from God's peace. And practically, what is, this, what is the, 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 peace, the peace side effect? Well, for many of us, we assume that, that this peace is, is peace with God. God's grace, it is God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. And since Jesus died for us, we now have peace with God, and we are no longer at war with him. And of course, that's absolutely right. That the peace that we have with God because of grace is the most beautiful aspect of that peace and the very heart of the gospel. However, if we think of peace only as a lack of war with our maker, then we limit the word that Paul has in mind here. For the opening greeting that the Jewish Paul has in mind here is the typical Jewish greeting of shalom. Shalom. Indeed, the word translated peace here uh, in verse 2 is the Greek version of the Old Testament word for peace. And for God's people in the Old Testament, shalom was more than just an absence of war with God. Uh, shalom was the great hope of the fall undone. Shalom was, was the world totally restored and renewed. Shalom was the soul that was totally at rest in every area. As one author puts it, shalom is the everything as it should be, peace. And this, says Paul, is the peace that Christians have been given now. Now, of course, we don't enjoy that peace in full. As we have considered, Christians still live in a world where we are afflicted, where there's false teaching, where prayer is hard, and we have to pay the bills. And yet... For those who enjoy and meditate upon God's grace, there is an everything as it should be peace that we start to see and we begin to enjoy glimpses of. Christian souls may, may feel now that, that, that those, those shadows of shalom in times of prayer with other Christians, times of fellowship with other believers, and even even in times of great trial. For the grace of God gives the Christian soul peace. You know, more one man who understood that well was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. For in 1873, Horatio Spafford also planned a vacation from America to England with his family. 
But last minute, Spafford has to attend some work matters. And so he sent his wife uh, and he sent his four daughters uh, on vacation uh, to England by themselves in the hope that he would catch up with them just a, just a few days later. But shortly after sending them off on their holidays, his family ship was struck by another boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And every one of Spafford's four daughters died. Indeed, just a few days later, uh, the rescued Mrs. Spafford sent a telegram to her husband from the UK which simply said, saved alone. And so the distraught Spafford left immediately for the hard work ahead of him. And firstly, going to be with his wife and to be like Jesus to her amid total tragedy. But when his own ship traveled on and passed by the Atlantic wreckage where his children died, with the grace of God to him filling his mind, somehow Spafford was inspired at that moment to pen the following hymn which amazingly reflected the peace that he felt in his very soul because of God's grace. Indeed, he entitled the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And as we close our time before we sing it together, let me read one verse to us. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friends, who knows what trials we may face this new term? Who knows what hard work we must endure this fall post-vacation? But in the midst of it all, remember grace to you. Remember grace to you, the grace of God's love past, that the grace of, uh, of God's hope future, and the grace of God's present peace that we may sing. It is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, how we praise you for your grace to us. Father, we praise you this morning for we recognize that you are the source of every grace. And we know ourselves only too well to know that we deserve nothing of it. And yet, Father, yet you, you bless us in so many ways. And uh, most of all, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that because we are in him, that we have the blessed assurance of your love past and the blessed assurance of that, of that future hope and so, Father, in light of that, would this grace to us fill us with peace, filling us with a peace that is able to cope with the hard work, indeed the joyous work that you have set before us in this letter and indeed every season of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.